Before we get into the message, I just want to ask for a little bit of your participation. Will you look at your neighbor and will you tell him, don't get too comfortable? Don't get too comfortable. And for the record, this is a great way to just make new friends and meet people. You just go up to a stranger and you just look them straight in the face. You say, don't, don't get too comfortable. They'll love it. They'll, they'll love it. I guess that's just me. That's fine. Hey. But, uh, hey, I just wanted to, I don't know what your year has been like, but in the Barrens uh, this year, it's been a little bit more exciting than we anticipated, maybe a little bit more exciting than we even wanted it to be, to be honest. And before I give you the rundown of what we have been up to, I just want to give you a visual. So let's just throw this picture up here. And all God's people said, ah, look at those cute kiddos. That is my wife, Kristen. The little one is Addie. The big one is Brooklyn. And uh, honestly, I don't just show you this because it's cute, although I do love it, and I do just love seeing them here. But, oh, are they in the back there? Hi, sweet girl. Um, but I show you this because this is like, these are the vessels that God is teaching me so much through. So when I share, this is like who is shaping me and who is teaching me. God is using each of them so uniquely to just share gifts of his wisdom and his love with me. And so when I get to share with you, that is what it's coming through. That's the lens that I get to learn and share about our life with Christ. But here's what's been going on in the Barron's household. I'll bring you back. First, we'll start in June. In June, I got pink eye. And all God's people said, no big deal, whatever. But then the pink eye turned into bacterial pneumonia. Again, not a big deal. But then the bacterial pneumonia turned into a whole cocktail of ailments that led to me passing out in the ER room while I was waiting to get checked in. And it turns out I had sepsis. And if you know what sepsis is, you know that that's not something that you want to have. And so it took a while to recover from that. And a month later, I was healed up enough to go on a family trip that we booked to the happiest place on earth. Do you know where that is? And we were so excited because our girls are absolutely obsessed with Disney princesses. They are the best, and we were ready to make some dreams come true. But then the day that we were supposed to fly to Anaheim, the coast of Southern California, got hit by the biggest tropical storm hurricane since 1939 called Hurricane Hillary. So we think no big deal. We change our tickets. When we change our tickets, our identities get stolen. We lose some money. Uh, but we say, you know what? In the showbiz, what do they say? The show must go on. And so we reschedule the trip for later in the week, and we show up, and we still get to ride. It's a small world, even after all of that drama. We made it happen. And so then we fast forward to October, and life is going good, and my wife and I are getting ready to go on a nice, relaxing trip to Israel. And here's a picture of us on the 6th of October. And uh, Grant showed a picture from the same location. This is actually, if you know Psalm 23, this is the valley of the shadow of death, which how cool is that? And if you look at my name tag, there used to be a name there, but it was blowing so just obscenely fast that it actually sucked my name out of its thing. And to this day, my belief is that my name is at the bottom of the valley of the shadow of death, and I still am trying to figure out what that means. Me and God have been wrestling. I don't think it's good. And so all was good, and we were having a great time on our trip, and then as you probably know, 
the next morning we were getting ready to go out and tour Jerusalem, but our trip took an unexpected turn, and we ended up being interrupted by air raid sirens and quickly realized that we were in the middle of a war. And through God's grace and through your prayers, we made it home safely. And after we made it home from Israel, everything was good for about two days. Then lo and behold, our girls got ear infections, broke out in hives. And wouldn't you know it, they got pink eye. So for those of you keeping track, it goes pink eye, sepsis, hurricane, identity theft, war zone, and then back to pink eye. Somehow after all this time, we are right back where we started. And I don't share that to complain. I don't share that to compare what's going on with us to what's going on with you. I'm sure some of you would be like, you know what, I would take that given the year that I've had. I would take your issues over my issues because I've got some real stuff that I'm wrestling with. So this isn't about comparing. This isn't about how much versus how much. This is about just simply laying out and showing you that over the course of the last few months, our family has had a lot of practice wrestling with the question, what do you do when life goes sideways? Like, where do you run for comfort when nothing feels comfortable? And, and to be honest, as we've wrestled with that, it's been a mixed bag. Because on one side, I can honestly say I've prayed more in the last five months than I can remember praying. I was praying for healing. I was praying for safe passage. I was praying for peace in Jerusalem. I was praying for all sorts of things I never thought that I would pray. And I leaned into God in new ways, and it was great. But then on the other side, I can tell you with absolute confidence that I definitely ate more of my kids' Halloween candy than I should have. I, I, I popped a lot of Pringles, and it's just been kind of this thing. I've also spent way more time than I'd like to admit reading articles about fantasy football, which is so far removed from reality, it just hurts my brain. So last week when Grant was saying that his message was almost called the cross versus football, I was saying, Fishbook, stay out of my business. Stop, stop reading my mail, dude, like for real. But the question that we have to wrestle with is when life doesn't go the way that we expect it to, where are we going to look for our comfort? Where are we going to look? Are we going to look to all these trivial things that we try to fill us with or are we going to look to the cross? Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, which is one of my favorite books, he says this, our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at life in things that don't really matter. Our greatest fear shouldn't be a failure, but of succeeding at life in things that don't really matter. And this is the essence of the danger of comfort, friends. It's not that comfort or comfort food or comfort items are bad in and of themselves. It's actually what comfort keeps us from. It keeps us from that which is best. And so today, I'm not here to teach a message on the evils of comfort. I'm not here to say that you shouldn't wear Uggs or eat potato chips. What I'm saying is I don't want you to allow your love of comfort. It's kind of like money. It's not that money's bad, but the love of money is actually something that can actually tear away at our soul. And so comfort's the same comfort items. They're not bad or good, but when they, the pursuit of comfort, we don't want it to get in the way of our pursuit of Christ. We don't want our love of comfort to keep us from experiencing the love of the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. So before we dive in, I just want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, we just recognize your presence in this place. God, we say, we say boldly, God, if we are comfortable, would you shake us from that comfort zone? God, we want to take solace. We want to take comfort. We want to take strength, God, from you and from you alone. 
God, help us to see all the things that are just empty. God, that we're looking for for sustenance. And God, would you just fill us with a fresh vision of your love for us, God, and would it compel us forward? We are so interested, God, in your love and your affection, God, and just having a new revelation of how good you are. So God, have your way. God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see that which you have for us today. And give us a boldness and a bravery to run after you in new ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So this week we're continuing and concluding our series, The Cross-Centered Life. And I've loved this series because at the end of the day, it's such a simple question. What is at the center of your life? What are you orienting your life around, either consciously or subconsciously? And if you're... Uh, new to this story today, we're actually going to be looking at one of my favorites. It's a story of struggle, and it's a story of pressing in the scriptures, and it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's actually not Abednego. If you've heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you heard it wrong. It's actually Abednego. So can you say Abed like you're getting into a bed? So Abed-nego. So it's Abed-nego. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed-nego. That is what we are sticking with. And if I say Abednego, just forgive me in advance. I'm probably going to say it about 60% of the time, but I'm going to try my best. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're new to this story, new to Christianity, new to checking this whole thing out, one welcome. And here is the context that you need to understand what's happening. There's this king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar, and he makes a statue out of gold that's 90 feet tall. And he orders everyone in Babylon to worship it any time that they hear the music play. And he says that if anyone refuses to worship this golden statue, they are going to get thrown into a blazing furnace and die. So safe to say Nebuchadnezzar's got some real issues that he's working through. And out of the whole nation, there are just three guys who refuse to worship this golden idol. And what we know from their culture is actually like these are just some, some teenagers. And these teenagers, their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these three get thrown into the furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar turns the heat up as hot as it'll go. And then in Daniel 3, verse 22, it says, The king command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flame actually killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Verse 24 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And they step out of the furnace, and that's where we're going to stop the story for now. They're getting out of the flames. So, so there's three ideas I want to pull from this story and just allow us to, uh, to, to just look at and say, what does it look like for God to truly meet me in a moment of pressing? And this first idea is simple, but sometimes simple things are the most profound things, and they're the most helpful things. And so the first idea I want to pull out, it, it might just be simple for you, but this is what you need to know. God is walking with you in your pain. God is walking with you 
in your pain. Oftentimes, when it comes to seasons of struggle, we misinterpret what pressing means. We think that pressing, we think that struggle actually means that God is absent. But if you look at the whole totality of Scripture, you'll realize that if anything is true about God in times of trouble, is that He actually moves closer to us. And so pain, if it's a signal for something, it's not a signal that God is absent, it's a signal that God is near. And when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, he doesn't see three, he sees four, because the presence of God is with them in the flames, and the presence of God is protecting them in the flames. And I think there's somebody here today that needs to hear that we don't worship a God who stands on the sidelines of our life, who stands on the sidelines of our pain. We worship a God who is with us in the furnace. Psalm 46, verse 1 says, The Lord is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And so that means that if you're in trouble today, I have good news. The Lord is near. And if you're in trouble, I have good news for you. The Lord is present in your pain. And if you're in danger, friends, I have good news. The Lord is protecting you. That's a promise from God because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I saw this interview of this old couple who had been married for 70 years, and they were just so cute. And they asked the, the wife, they said, oh, what do you appreciate most about your husband? And her response surprised me. I don't know what I was expecting her to say, but her response was so simple, it kind of caught me off guard. She said, he's always been there for me. He's always been there for me. That was it. And, and, and what that means is that it wasn't about the flowers for her. It wasn't about the, the trips that they went on. It wasn't about the grand romantic gestures. It was simply the fact that he was present in every season. When other people were removed, he pushed in closer in every single season. No matter what the struggle was around them, she had somebody that she knew was going to be close to her. And this is the type of God that we have no matter who comes and who goes from our life, no matter what the pressure looks like, no matter how hot it gets turned up, this this is what we know to be true about our God. He is with us in every season. He is with us. He draws close to the brokenhearted. And if you're in a time of trouble, God is near. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And just in case you wanted to know, he has never lost a battle and he never will. So I don't know what your furnace looks like. I don't know what you're going up against right now. But this is what I know is true. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go, and he's closer than your breath. Second idea is this. God is working through your pain. So God's with you in your pain, and God is working in your pain. The Bible says Nebuchadnezzar shouts into the furnace and orders Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to come out. And what I want to have you notice here is that it's not God who calls them out of the flame. It's actually Nebuchadnezzar. So it's not God who says, hey, I'm going to get my peeps out. God works in the details. So he actually has the person who threw them in to be the one whose voice calls them out. And it's just kind of the signal that maybe there's more going on in this story. Isn't it interesting how God works? Sometimes he'll literally use you to change the heart of the person who's made your life a living hell. I remember a few years back I was studying this story and I started to see that I think it's bigger than we make it out to be. You know, I used to think that this story was just a story about God saving some people who uh, might have burned in a, a furnace. I thought it was just about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but 
I know that they get top building and all that. Their marketing team did a great job of just making sure that we knew that it was about them, perhaps to them. But what if there's more to the story? What if God's up to something bigger? What if this story, friends, listen to this, isn't about getting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire? What if it's about getting God's holy fire, his presence, into the people of Babylon? What do we pull out for a second? And this isn't just God saving a couple Christians. This is God using a couple Christians and showing what faithfulness looks like and showing what God's provision looks like in a time of trouble. And God actually uses that picture to free an entire nation. Because look at this. In uh, verse 28, this is what it says. This is Nebuchadnezzar's response to God's presence in the fire. So he starts by saying, if you worship anything other than this 90-foot statue, uh, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to put you in the furnace. And then this is what he says, into the furnace. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And he decrees that no person of any nation or language should say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he says this, he says, for no other God can save this way. So first he's killing people who worship this God, then he's actually declaring the power of this God who has saved these people. He says, no one can save like this. Like, what if the story isn't about God saving Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What if it's about God using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to save Nebuchadnezzar? And God using Nebuchadnezzar to save a nation. And because of the faithfulness of a few Many came to know the one true God who is our protector and who is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Because at the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar is actually moving towards, and he's actually being used by God, and the whole nation is saved because of their faithfulness. Friends, it makes me wonder, because sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, I have these moments of, of pressing, and I'll just be like, like seriously, why me, God? Like, why me, God? And I wonder if sometimes when we're saying, why me, God? God is saying, this has nothing to do with you. There's actually a bigger story at play. If you could just get your head from looking at just your perspective and see that I'm actually doing something that's bigger than you right now. What if God actually wants to use your story to encourage somebody else? What if God wants to use your story to show somebody what faithfulness looks like in the middle of the flames? What if God wants to use you because he has a bigger story in mind? It made me think of the story, New Wine, that we sing here from time to time. <laughs> it says, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. It says, Lord, make me whatever you want me to be. Lord, I came here with nothing, yet all you've given me, Jesus, make new wine out of me. And this song is really a prayer. It's a prayer that says, Lord, will you use me? Would you redeem the pressure that's happening right now? Because I know that this pressure, if placed in the right hands, can produce something beautiful. Lord, will you make something beautiful out of my broken situation? Will you make something beautiful out of my pain? And here's the good news, friends. When you ask that, and when you say, I'm going to bring whatever this mess and whatever this pressure is to God, his answer is yes. He will be faithful to do something beautiful. The last idea that I want to share with you today is simple. It's God's making you strong through your pain. God's making you strong through your pain. It's not pointless. In James 1 verse 2 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, isn't it interesting? Because sometimes when we want God to change our context, God actually wants to use our context to change us. He's saying, if you just stick in it with me, I'm actually doing something in you. You know, I've always loved this quote from JFK. I, I looked at it this, this week, though, and it sounds like he might have co-opted it from a reverend named Philip Brooks. But for the sake of now, we'll just give it to JFK. He definitely wrote this. But um, he said, don't pray for easier lives. I don't know if you know this. Pray to be stronger men. Don't pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men, stronger women. And I love that, and I find myself praying it often. Lord, would you increase my capacity? I don't want to shirk back from the responsibility or what you've put in front of me, but God, would you expand my capacity? Would you make me strong? And every time I pray it, I love it. I'm like, yes, this is a good prayer. This sounds awesome when I say it. This resonates on a primal level because I want to be stronger. The only problem with the prayer is that when we pray it, we don't often consider the process that comes along with that appeal. We don't really know what we're praying for because to be made strong, there's actually a tearing that needs to happen. I don't know if you've ever worked out or know anything about muscles, but the way to be made strong, there is a necessary tearing. Every time that we go through resistance and we stick in the pain, we're actually tearing. And then when God, he literally designed us down to our fibers so that when our body fixes and repairs and builds, it actually builds us back stronger than we were before. And so when we're saying, Lord, make us strong, I don't want to be uh, somebody who's praying for an easy life. I want to be praying to, to be a stronger uh, a man. What we're actually praying is, God, would you bring some resistance against me? And would you stick with me in it? Because I know that that's the only way that muscles are built. The other day I was reading an article that was called The Brutal Truth About Losing Weight That Most People Learn Too Late. And even when I clicked it, I knew this is, this is, this is probably a trick. This is clickbait, but... I was like, let's explore it, because what's the worst that could happen? You know, we could find something uh, in here that's very worthwhile, and I'd love to, to share with you. But they spent the entire article just throwing around stats, like it was going out of style. And I was just like, you know what, this, this could be going somewhere. Like, we could be on the precipice of something big. And then at the end of it, it said, the brutal truth about losing weight that most people learn too late is that you have to eat healthier and you have to exercise more. <laughs> Thanks for nothing. And really the point of the article is to say stop looking for shortcuts. Stop looking for the easy way to be made strong. It does not exist. Strength is built in the pain. When we invite God through and we say, Lord Jesus, will you come into this? And will you actually take the tears of my life and of my soul? And will you build them back stronger than they were before? The point of the article is to say stop looking for shortcuts. If you want abs, do crunches. If you want to be strong in your faith, then go through some stuff with God and stick it out. Don't say, Lord, take me out. Say, Lord, come on in. I want to actually use this for my benefit. I want you to prepare me for what it is that you're calling me to do. Because that's the process through which we're made strong. There's a necessary tearing, and we're saying, Lord, we invite the process because we know that you're good. And the problem is when we spend our entire lives trying to avoid pain, if that's like our highest priority, I'm going to actually short circuit the process through which God wants to make me strong. If I just go to Nutella and Netflix, I'm never going to actually have the resistance to be made strong. James says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. 
which doesn't mean we take joy in the pain. It means that we take joy in what that pain is producing. I believe there's somebody here today who just needs to know that what you're going through right now will not get wasted if you bring it to God. If you invite God in, God is making you strong through your pain. And it's going to get used if you let it. Which brings us full circle back to our question, where do you run when it gets hard? Where do we find comfort? I don't know what that answer is for you. I don't know if it is the cross. I don't know if it is Netflix. I don't know if it is an addiction. I don't know if it is a relationship where you try and control when everything else seems out of control. But this is what I know. Retail therapy might work for a minute and comfort food might fill you up for the day. But living your life trying to avoid and distract yourself from the hardest moments won't bring you the comfort that you crave in your core. It will not do it. It will not actually fulfill the promise that it's making you. The kind of comfort that you crave in your guts can only be found at the cross. It can only be found in Christ. The Bible says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. In Matthew 6, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this will be given to you. In Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. So there's actually this invitation to submit and to lay down and to discard like all of the pursuits of comfort so that I can actually hold the comfort that God is trying to give me. We can't actually hold it. We don't have the capacity to do so while we're trying to get something else. There's no shortcut. Last scripture is that Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. So, so he says, if you want the wholeness, if you want the comfort of the great comforter, you're actually going to have to deny yourself the comforts that you usually go to. And when you actually let go of one, it opens you up to say yes to the other. Jesus says, whatever you're going through, bring it to me. Bring it to me. This is the invitation of Jesus. Bring it to me. And one of the things that I love about my kids right now is that they haven't yet learned how to, how to cope. They haven't learned how to stress eat yet. They, they don't know how to binge Netflix shows. I think they would if they could, to be honest, but we haven't given them that power yet. And so they don't go to Netflix and stress and they, they don't go to retail therapy and they don't know how to online shop. And what that means for them is that when they're sad, when they're hurting, when they're scared, when they're overwhelmed, their first instinct isn't to try and comfort themselves, it's to look for their parents because they actually can do something about what it is that they're facing when they're stressed out because they think that there's a monster in the closet, they don't online shop, they run and they find their dad because they know their dad's gonna take care of business. No, if he finds a monster in the closet and there's anything that uh, could go sideways, if, if we find one, pray for the monster because it's not gonna go well for the monster. That, that's all I'm saying. They know to come talk to their dad. And, and to me, there's something so powerful about the effortlessness in which kids ask for help. There's something so beautiful and something so pure about how kids just run to their parents when they, when they need comfort. And it got me thinking, what if being childlike, man, bringing whatever's making you sad or scared or frustrated or overwhelmed to the feet of Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need your help. Because this Ben and Jerry's isn't cutting it. 
Lord, I need more than the things that I've been grasping for. I need you. I need the power and the love of your cross to hold me. God says, run to me. If you're scared, run to me. If you're overwhelmed, run to me. If you're stressed, run to me. Throw off anything that entangles and fix your eyes on me. And what's so beautiful is that when we get in the rhythm of inviting God in, saying, Lord, I, I, I want to let go of the rest of this. I want to hold on to you. When we get in the process of allowing God to be our comforter, he actually starts allowing us to bring comfort to others. The way that we're designed throughout scripture is that we receive comfort from God and then we're called to share comfort with others. It's when we look for comfort ourselves that we get in trouble. And so what's beautiful is when we start to receive comfort from God, he allows us to go bring an extension of that comfort to others. And I think this is important to say, if, if that's what God is inviting you to do, that doesn't mean that you need to have all the answers. In fact, oftentimes it's better when you don't. It's not comforting to me if somebody comes and they're a know-it-all. It's a comfort if somebody comes and says, hey, I'm just getting, I'm, I'm, I'm entering in with you. And the person who does this better than anybody is Grant. I've learned so much from him. I remember one time I was heading out to pray with this woman who had just lost her husband of so many years, and I called Grant on the way, and I remember saying, Grant, I don't even know what to pray. Like, I, I want to be a gift, but I don't know what to say that would be a gift, and this is hard, and if I'm honest, I feel a little bit lost right now, and I'll never forget his advice. He said, Brian, that's great. Start there. I said, did you hear anything I just said? He says, start there. He says, start by acknowledging what you don't know. Start by saying, God, this is hard. Start by saying, God, this is confusing. And honestly, we don't really know what to do right now. We feel lost and we need your help. He says, then and only then, you can actually start moving into praying towards what you do know. You start by acknowledging what you don't know, and then you start praying into what you do know. He says, once you've prayed, Lord, we don't know what to do. We feel lost. We need your help. Then you can start coming in, and you can say, but Lord, in the middle of our grief, we choose to remember that you are good, you are kind, you are in control, and everything that's outside of our control is inside of yours. And we move in, we say, hey, Lord, we are calling now on the Prince of Peace. We don't have what it takes. We need your help. We need the Prince of Peace to come and bring his peace now. Lord, we need healing. Our hearts are broken. We need the great physician to come. So we're calling on the great physician to come start knitting together the pieces of our heart and doing the healing that only you can do. Lord, we are calling on Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals, to come heal our hearts and heal our souls again because without you, we have no idea what to do. Lord, will you meet us in our mess? Lord, will you pick up the pieces? Lord, in this moment, we lean into you. Will you pour your spirit out? And so I went and I prayed. I said, Lord, this is hard. We don't know what we're doing, but God, we need your help. And wouldn't you believe it? God showed up. Wouldn't you believe it? Comfort started to actually manifest because God was there. And we weren't saying, we know the answers. We're saying, Lord Jesus, you do. And so today, I actually want to close in a very simple way. I want to pray. But before we pray, I just want to know who this is for. So if you're currently grieving, if you're currently overwhelmed, if you're currently in a situation where you just feel pressed from so many different sides and you just don't know what to do, if you're feeling just anxious, if you're feeling stressed, will you do something bold and just put your hand in the air and say, yeah, that's me. If you're saying, Lord, I need you to be my comforter. Lord, I need you to be my hope and my joy. I've got good news if that's you. 
the second that we reach the end of ourselves as the beginning of God, he says, I'll meet you there. And it doesn't matter how long you've been looking in the wrong places, because right here today, as you sit in your chair or as you sit wherever it is that you are, God is saying, will you run to me? I don't care if you've been uh, uh, binge-watching shows. I don't care if you've been in an addiction. I don't care if you've been uh, trying to lean into things that you shouldn't lean into. I don't care how long it's been going on because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. He says it's never too late to have the, the, the comforter actually come and comfort your heart. And so today I actually want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, God, for every hand raised, God, I just want to acknowledge that this is hard. And we don't always know what to say. We don't know what we're doing. And so, God, we need a comforter to come and comfort us today. God, we need your help. We are at the end of ourselves. We know nothing other than what we're carrying is too much for us. So, God, right now we are calling on the Prince of Peace. The thing I love about you is you're the creator of the cosmos, but you are so in tune with the finite details of our lives. God, you know every single issue better than we do. So God, we pray that you would come and heal. Jehovah Rophi, would you come and heal? Would you start knitting together the pieces of our hearts that are broken? We are desperate and we need your help. God, won't you come? Won't you pour out your spirit on us? Won't you pour out your healing? Won't you allow us to just experience the comfort, God, that you promise us? We claim that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you are not distant, that you are as present as anything that we could ever think or imagine. We welcome your presence in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So today we get to respond. We're going to stand to our feet. And there's a song that we sang last week that uh, we're actually going to sing it again because there's this lyric that says there is nothing on this earth that can satisfy. And that's what I just, in the middle of this conversation about the comfort in the cross, we're saying, Lord Jesus, we realize that everything that's not you can't comfort us. And so we are saying, Lord Jesus, comfort us today. Christ, you are enough. Let's sing together.